0: Hello and you are listening to ScarJo at GoGo, the podcast where I chronicle and dissect the films of Scarlett Johansson in chronological order. I am Luke and this week I'm talking about Hitchcock. We're here to learn, not just to yawn for our most love celebrity. We'll watch the screen, what can we glean from her career trajectory? Cause she'd prefer, if you'd refer, To her as Miss Johansson Don't be a jerk To Miss Johansson Respect her work She starts off really small And then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows Let's see how far she goes Scar Joe, would go Nudity! What's all that about? It's something we've not talked about a great length about on this show, and I've always promised that this would not become all Scarlett Hansen, you know, where we focus just on her looks and her body. This has always been about performance and filmmaking, and it very much still is. However, just two episodes away from Under the Skin, I really wanted to make some observations about nudity. How it relates to Scarlett's work. How it relates to 2012's Hitchcock. And get it all out of our system before Under the Skin. Which is really a far more complicated film. And has so much to talk about beyond her naked form. And why are we even interested in nudity in the first place? Beyond obvious biological imperatives. I have a pretty sound rock solid theory. When we are very young, everything is new to us. The whole world is new to us. We we see a billion different things for the first time. And we're there like absolutely digging the shit out of cats and dogs. And then suddenly somebody's like, oh, and uh, by the way, that's a giraffe. And we're like, holy shit, are you kidding me? That fucking thing? Really? That's a real thing now? With the big neck and hole, the spots and everything? Mind blown. And then they're like, well, wait until you see this elephant. The world is constantly surprising us. But as we get older, we don't have that experience anymore. We've seen everything. Well, almost everything. Seeing people we know or know of naked for the first time is the adult version Of the giraffe. But, is it really a big deal? No, of course it's not. I mean, just like the giraffe, once you've seen it, you've seen it. You live with it, you move on. But still, it's hard to fight that initial spark. Now, enter Hitchcock and its recreation of Psycho's infamous shower scene. And this is a film that doesn't actually have any nudity. But digging deeper on this scene, I I sort of discovered something that um, intrigued me. And I began to feel that there was more to this story than you may have initially thought. So in the spirit of Scar journalism, we're going to get to the bottom of that. But first, when we last left Scarlett Johansson, she was holding her own alongside a Norse god, a rage monster, a robot suit, a super soldier, and maybe a um, Olympic archer playing a far more nuanced and appealing version of Super Spy Black Widow in The Avengers, a film where Joss Whedon worked together with Scarlet to really flesh out that character, keep her constantly in the action. It finally allowed her to get bloodied and dirty alongside the rest of them and really tinkered and fixed all the mistakes and missed opportunities that I thought were present in Iron Man 2 so it's really a change of pace here as uh, we go to Hitchcock which came out in 2012 we really are at the pointy end now and uh, this is more of a supporting role for her but uh, don't dismiss it she's actually more involved than I thought she would And, and I'm seeing this for the first time in order to do this show and minor spoilers I think she does a really good job Now, this is the first feature film for director Sasha Javasi. Hope I'm saying that correctly. Who prior to this was probably more known for his writing work. He wrote screenplays such as uh, The Terminal. Featuring Tom Hanks. Thanks for the Hanks, Sasha. And this film is, of course, about legendary director Alfred Hitchcock. However, I want to temper your expectations right off the bat. This is... Far from a definitive history of Hitchcock. In fact, I was very surprised, maybe relieved, to learn that this film is only 98 minutes long. And it really feels like more of a vignette. And it was interesting to hear that apparently it was shot in only 39 days. So it has more of a laser focus. It's really a short part of Hitchcock's life. And all the events that we see are focused purely around the making of of Psycho. You hear that Anthony Hopkins is playing Hitchcock. You hear that Helen Mirren is playing his wife, Alma. You may rightly assume that this is a big Oscar bait, biographical epic, but it's not. This is more like a dramatization of the trivia page for Psycho. In fact, the short version of this film plot-wise would be Hitchcock decides to make Psycho, Hitchcock makes Psycho, profit. So as always, we're not going to dwell too much on the scenes that don't involve Scarlett Johansson. I'm not going to give you a blow-by-blow account of the film, but I will try and fill you in on the general vibe of the story. Now, this film opens with Ed Gein's farmhouse. Now, Ed Gein, you might recall, is the famous serial killer who inspired uh, many different films, including Psycho and also Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He was the guy that would make objects out of human skin and also uh, Silence of the Lambs There's another inspiration there. He was uh, putting together a skin made out of, um, well, like a suit made out of women's skin and had some crazy mother issues. So in this opening sequence, Ed and his brother, they're putting out a fire on the farm. Ed fucks up his brother with a shovel, and then we pan across to see Alfred Hitchcock himself watching this scene unfold while he drinks tea. He breaks the fourth wall, and he provides commentary on the scene that has just unfolded before him. Basically, Hitchcock is here to cite uh, Ed Gein, Gein as his source of inspiration. Without Gynes' horrific acts, we do not have the film Psycho. And by association, we don't have this film. And by association again, we don't have this podcast. So if this crazy bastard didn't go around killing and skinning people, you'd have nothing to listen to this week. So keep him in your prayers. So Hitchcock, uh, a latexy Anthony Hopkins is looking for a new movie post North by Northwest. And he really wishes to return to his down and dirty roots. You know, this time when he was hungry making uh, these raw, risky films. And he becomes fascinated with the novel Psycho, which was inspired by the events that involved Ed Gein. He is absolutely hot for doing this film. No one else is. So, he ends up having to finance the film himself. And it's during this period that his relationship with his wife, Helen Mirren, uh, is very strained. She's becoming close to a writer friend called Wit, who's played by uh, Danny Houston. And Hitchcock, meanwhile, has some pretty creepy girl-watching obsessions himself. He has this thing for mystery blondes. Uh, He's known for being particularly overbearing and controlling with his actresses. And uh, at one point we even see him spying through a peephole Norman Bates style. And to complicate it all further, parts of this story are also intercut with the Ed Gein story. With Hitchcock even interacting with him in some sort of fantasy dream sequences, I suppose. So, you know, for the first half hour, it's the journey to make Psycho. And there are some interesting details along the way. Again, like I said, this is an IMDb trivia page substitute. I enjoyed the fact that the producers, when they're turning this thing down, comments that uh, no American movie has ever felt the need to show a toilet. And this is the 50s. God, can you imagine... Like, I'm going to add this to my time travel list. Like, if I ever got a time machine, I'm going to go back to these producers who were so worried about an American movie showing a toilet, and I'm going to go, hey, guys, get out my iPad. I'm going to show them Dumb and Dumber. I'm going to blow their fucking minds. But uh, it's not until the casting process that we finally catch up with our hero, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, she's playing actress, real life actress, 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 actor. I like to say actor, gender neutral, real life actor Janet Lee, who, of course, starred in Psycho. And uh, according to this film, at least, uh, Helen Mirren, the wife, is the one who suggests that uh, Janet Lee would be great for the part of Mary, I believe it is. And Helen Mirren's character, Alma, uh, proves to be the brains behind quite a few influential decisions in Hitchcock's life. And she also remarks that Hitchcock used to always comment on Janet Leigh's figure. So, 28 minutes into the film, heralded by some rather sassy trumpets, we are introduced to Scarlett Johansson's butt. Now, she is an actress that is often revealed via a body part. But is this the first time that her buttocks has ushered her in since her unforgettable role in Lost in Translation? I think it is. So the camera is low. It's keeping pace with her bottom as it bobs along with purpose through what appears to be a a very fancy restaurant. She's clad in a pale, silky gown, which has a trail of silk rather um, tastefully bisecting her bottom her hands are by her side we can see that she's wearing long evening gloves Uh, the dress is you know a white pale pink she's definitely the good girl that Mirren in the previous scene claims that she's used to playing she instantly appears as the innocent in all of this and there's a certain sweet um, naivette as we see her face, and she spies Hitchcock and Mirren for the first time. Uh, She's got short blonde hair, does feel quite wiggish, but she is just very much the picture of 50s movie star glamour. And I've said this before, I always feel that Scarlet has a wonderful look for this classic period stuff. Um, I believe, from what I've read about her, that old school Hollywood is something that she's quite enamored with personally, or or has a sort of fondness for, and I think she does this exceptionally well. Uh, Her first line, we always mention her first line, is, hello, lovely to see you. Her voice is deeper than Hitchcock, of course. She's all smiles, and Hitchcock is clearly very smitten by her. He cannot keep his creepy, glassy eyes off of her. But we jump cut a bit. We skip forward into the meal as Hitchcock flirts and continues his story. There's no food for Scarlett though. She's watching her figure. I thought it was also interesting as she's sitting at the table that we're only seeing her from the shoulders up. We're not seeing her hands. You'll remember from previous films when she's sitting at a table. Even from her very first film, North, she tends to move things around, play with objects, squeeze the crap out of mustard bottles, etc. Maybe she's doing that here. If she is, they're not showing it. Interesting too, because later on in her most famous scene in this film, we're also only going to see her from the shoulders up. And this strikes me as a really lovely, confident performance. She's certainly very entrancing. But there's also this wonderful understated sort of self-aware comedic bent here he wants to know what she's done to research her character and she's written an entire back history for mary and um, when asked about one of her deeper secrets uh, she talks about how she's leading a double life and this is shown by the two different perfumes she wears one which is quite expensive and exotic and she name drops that with a dreamy look on her face She's very invested in what she's saying, but at the same time, we know it's naive and silly and shallow. While Hopkins slash Hitchcock acts like she's saying deep and meaningful things. But you know he doesn't think that, and and Mirren is pretty much openly rolling her eyes. But there's a depth uh, uh, to what Scarlett's doing here. As an actor, she's in on the joke in a very playful way. And I admire this confidence. The confidence of this phase three of her career. But all of that's really just scene setting. I I feel um, so much of her performance here is hinged around not just her relationship with Hitchcock, but the way that's all going to be funneled through this pivotal future shower scene. And uh, it, it becomes the focus immediately when she brings up concerns about the shower scene having seen it in the script she's a wife and a mother she needs to appear respectable hopkins assures her that it's all going to be suggested rather than any actual nudity but he does drop a bit of a wily pun saying that with her in the shower it's going to be quite titillating and that's enough for mirren mirren bails And we see Scarlet kind of politely soldiering on. But I also feel there's this sort of flash of concern about, you know, a bit of anxiety about what's all this going to entail. I open this podcast with a weird chat about nudity. And as I said, although there isn't any in this film, we can already see how this is one of the more important things that is weighing on the character. And this potential to exploit her or objectify her... Hitchcock's obsession with her. That's really the backbone of this entire relationship. Now, Jessica Beale enters uh, soon after as well. She is playing the sister of Scarlett's character. Not Janet Lee's sister, the character. the sister of the character that Janet Lee, as played by Scarlett. Oh fuck it, you know what I mean. Be pedantic. And Hitchcock. Watches Jessica Beale change through a peephole in the wall, which is an allusion, of course, to Norman Bates, the titular psycho in Psycho. But for me, it was kind of odd. Like, this is where it started to feel like the film was stretching the credulity? Like, is this a metaphorical dream sequence, like his psychiatry session with Ed Gein? Like, I'm really not sure, or is there a suggestion that Hitchcock actually would do things like this? Which I don't believe is documented. I know there are uh, uh, Hitchcock scholars, and I'm certainly not one of them, who have said a lot of things that happened in this film were invented. And there certainly are these flights of fancy, like the Ed Gein scenes, that are stitched in with these very droll scenes of domesticity in the Hitchcock household. I guess regardless of all that, the impression we're getting is that this film, the experience of making this film, the the themes and content of this film are seeping into every aspect of Hitchcock's life. And he is beginning to really experience anxiety and doubt about doing this thing. Uh, Suggested tagline for the film from me? This psycho is making him psycho. And to the set now, and Hitchcock is met by Scarlet outside her dressing room, resplendent in her white jumpsuit. I think she uh, looks amazing here. And there's a definite dichotomy with the fat, black suit of darkness of Hitchcock, sort of juxtaposed against this virginal pureness of Scarlet. One's on the left of the screen, the other's on the right. And even the set behind them reflects this. Scarlet has a white dressing room behind her with a star on the door but that piece of the background kind of ends when it gets to Hitchcock who is in front of this dark angular pile of pipes and detritus that sort of lurk behind the scenes you know he is the lurker behind the scenes she's the star in the light and oh, oh my god like Scarlett totally has the 50s movie star walk down Walks around observing everything with this big grin, her arms are folded. She's just perfect, like a creature plucked from another time. And just wonderful 50s pin-up facial expressions too. Wide-eyed ingenue. She's cute here rather than sexy, and there's something really wholesome about her character as well that I loved. And although they don't make a big deal of it here, there's no close-ups or anything, you know... Hitch is kind of happy to get his hands on her and uh, direct her around. A little bit later, Scarlet is introduced to the set, which doubles for Norman Bates' lair. Anthony Perkins is here, played by uh, James Darcy, I think. You've seen him in Agent Carter most recent- recently. He's the one that plays Jarvis. hope I'm getting all that right. You know, you realise all of this is pretty much off the top of my head when it comes to remembering these details. We're going to call him Perkins rather than Darcy, just so that uh, you're all on the same page. But he's trying to get to terms with his character motivations here. And again, Hitchcock is framed by the darkness behind the scenes. He's just at that edge where the set runs out. And Scarlett kind of gets pulled deeper into his darkness as she questions why the peephole is so much bigger on this side of the room. And he says... All the better to see you with, my dear. So it's lurid. We're being reminded of what's going to happen soon. It's all about the shower scene. And then uh, she is in a white negligee, kissing a topless man on a hotel bed. This is a scene from the film Psycho. Interesting, we always talk about the fact that in Scarlet films, her feet seem to be a feature. One of them is out towards the camera, moving all around the place while she's kissing. And then we sort of, it almost feels like she's actually in a hotel room until we realize that it's a set and Hitchcock sits very close and silently and just sort of watches on. So the Bates slash Mary thing and their Hitchcock slash Lee thing are providing all these multiple layers of voyeurism, like a pervy babushka doll or something. And then um, we next see Scarlett in what I find to be a really interesting scene, because you may recall my distaste for Woody Allen's decision in Vicky Cristina Barcelona to give many of Scarlett's thoughts to an anonymous male narrator, and I really felt that that robbed her of a great deal of her performance. Now here, in a way the same thing happens on set, but for me it's done in the right way scarlet pretends to drive the car she's got um, a road behind her being back projected and hitchcock is directing her and this time he's really getting into it he's running through her thoughts about the stolen money etc and scarlet silently using only her expression and her body language responds to the stimuli he's giving her She's expressing all these ideas and emotions as he gives a play-by-play of the thoughts that would be now going through her head. And he gets darker and darker with it as he goes. And this works for me, because unlike in Vicky Cristina Barcelona, I feel she's really an active participant. They're they're doing this performance together. Whereas in in, uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, or VCB as I like to call it, The uh, narration would cover footage of her doing simple things like riding a bike, going for a walk, but we weren't really seeing that same thought process. And plus, from a film perspective, or a narrative perspective, this is the first time we're really seeing Hitchcock actively direct, because otherwise, without the knowledge of him that we bring to the film just through the fact that we're not hermits, why would we think He was a genius based on what we've seen in this film. Like, he's really just been a lecturous creeper. whose talent is mentioned, but never really evidenced. And as Hopkins raises the intensity, Scarlett very much rises to meet him there. And the film that's been projected burns out behind her, and she seems just absolutely breathless and disturbed afterwards by the things that he has said. And it's a really nice touch as... Hitchcock goes to investigate the problem with the projection. His iconic silhouette in profile falls on the white screen behind her. This is very much the shadow that is looming over her. And when she's back in her dressing room, anxiety has really taken Scarlett and she paces and she smokes. Uh, There's been so many films that we've done in this show where she's been smoking. So I'm really not surprised to see it return. She's going to have to do all her films as period pieces now so that she can smoke in them. And she receives counselling from Jessica Biel, who's warning her against Hitchcock and his controllingness. Jessica Biel an actress that has, or playing an actress, that has gone through this with Hitchcock before. Basically warning her not to get too close. But, you know, the fresh naive Scarlet, she's still hanging in there. But then, even as they're talking, the Hitchcock shadow flashes against the wall again. You know, he's always watching. He's always present. And then later, after suspicions that Mirren is getting it on with Wit, who was a writer friend, Hitchcock waits outside the set, outside the studio lot, looking very out of place. And Scarlett pulls up for a really iconic shot got the white dress the fancy sunglasses she's sitting in a white v-dub beetle so even her car is this small sweet naive curvy thing total extension of her and she offers him a ride and i feel like the back shot of the car driving away almost mirrors the shot of her butt that we saw in the restaurant and they chat and look despite all the warning she really is warm and playful and he eats her candy corn, another trait shared by Mr. Norman Bates. But this scene, it really proves to be more of a character moment for Hitchcock, I think. Scarlett questions what happened between him and Jessica Beale's character. He bemoans the fact that she chose a family over, you know, fully giving herself to him, becoming a star for him, and says, why do they always betray me? Man's got issues, gonna need some tissues. 58 minutes in, two-thirds of this film, and it's the famous shower scene. This is the one we're going to talk about the most. So Scarlet, bright red lipstick, is seen from the shoulders up in the shower, squinting in the jet of water, and crying out in shock, terror, pain but a little bit lacklusterly, as the maniac in the dress, it's a stunt double, it's not Perkins, stabs somewhat ineffectually at her. And this absolutely infuriates Hitchcock. So Hitchcock ends up taking the knife, swings at her. And while he's doing this, he's imagining all these people that he hates, all these people that have caused him problems, the producers, etc. And she begins screaming in genuine terror now. Her body language changes. This is the arms are up, she's attempting to defend herself. She's clearly shaking in horror as he finally sort of drops the knife. He's spent. It's almost like he's just suddenly blown his load figuratively speaking and he just comes to this halt. And she is really disturbed by it. And it's um a, a great performance from Scarlett playing this like iconic scream queen role really selling it um i love the photo shoot that came out of this for the magazine cover with scarlet in the shower sort of a more playful version of this she kills it and i also love the transition as she leaves in silence she's toweling her hair she's wearing a robe and shooting a very pointed look at jessica beale now they have an understanding Uh, And now this is where I feel suddenly, like, just the look on her face, it's changed. She's inhabiting a different person. This is no longer the naive starlet. This is suddenly real and violating. Now, a lot of things to talk about with this. Firstly, the idea of Hitchcock attacking her in the shower and screaming at her and getting her all worked up is interesting, but apparently all bullshit Never happened. He didn't do anything like that on the set during the scene. But this is where my detective work kicks in. Because often, and this may shock you, this is how I'm prepared though. If it's a film I haven't seen before and Scarlet isn't the main role, I will tend to read a synopsis of the film beforehand. I know that spoils things but it helps me give you a better show because I have an understanding of everything that's going on. But most importantly, I'm not writing half an hour of notes about things that won't end up concerning Scarlett's character. I know when she's going to arrive and I know what key things I have to convey to you in order to tell this story. The synopsis I used, I think, was on the themoviespoiler.com, something like that. That was the one I read. And... After seeing the film, I thought, hang on, wasn't there something else that was missing? And in the synopsis, it says, It's the day of the infamous shower sequence. The water's ready, but Janet is worried about the nipple covers. They fall off. It's not filling her with confidence, but they get readjusted. I don't remember that. That didn't happen. So why is that in that synopsis? Now, we know she was concerned about the nudity because she mentions it at the restaurant. So it was a thread to this story. Where has it gone? Why is it in a synopsis? Have I seen a different version? Is there a deleted scene? Turns out there is a deleted scene, but not the shower sequence. It's a sequence where Alfred, again, is on the psychiatrist's couch and talks to Ed Gein about his mother. That scene, that deleted scene is also in the synopsis I read. So did they base this on the film or on something else? So my next stop, Batman, Internet Detective, I go to the Internet's movie script database, script movie database, something like that, and I have a bit of a look at the Hitchcock script. And sure enough, there are some scenes that were never released. And I don't know why they weren't, but perhaps we can do a little bit of speculation. So, I'm no Anthony Hopkins, I'm no Scarlett Johansson, but just for the purposes of getting this information across, we're just going to read these scenes very quickly. So, interior soundstage universal review set. Stage hands and engineers test a row of hot water tanks installed on the set. We follow the sound of rushing water through a pipe as it snakes across the set floor and passes through a fake wall to a shower head. That is in the film. Unleashing a stream of steaming hot water, the set hand gives the thumb up. thumbs up. Set hand, tell the boss we're ready. That's not in the film, nor is interior soundstage universal review day. Peggy, that's uh, Hitchcock's assistant, and AD Hilton Green exchange a glance as Hitchcock paces up and down in the corridor, eager to get to work. Hitchcock, what's the holdup? Call time was two hours ago. Peggy nervously knocks on Janet's door, Scarlet is Janet, and peers inside, interior, Janet Lee's dressing room day. Rita Riggs is hard at work moulding, moleskin patches to Janet's nipples. Janet, are you sure this moleskin will stay put? Rita Riggs, Mr. Hitchcock promised. Neither woman looks convinced, but they proceed with blind faith. Janet, it better... I'm going to be taking a shower all week. As Janet slips on her robe, a moleskin triangle plops onto the floor. Rita and Janet share a worried look. So there's our nipple cover scene, which is not in the film. And there's even more in the script as to how the shower scene plays out. Janet nervously removes her bathrobe and heads towards the mock shower store. Hitchcock. Good morning. None of this is in the film, by the way. It just cuts to her in the shower, shoulders up, doing the scene. He takes her hand and guides her into position. Hitchcock. As I explained earlier, this scene will be made up of many shots from Mr. Bass's... Salt Bass, I know this stuff. Boards. A series of looks, actions. Well, you're the professional. You'll know how to do it. Around them, the crew frantically finalise the camera and light setups. Male crew members look uncomfortable and excited by the unprecedented sight of a virtually nude movie star. None of this is in the film. Saul Bass, oh, no, there you go, Saul Bass, Bass, I was right, comes over with his boards and Hitch and he discuss the planned shot a moment. First AD Hilton Green says, "Tony stunt double is ready. Alfred Hitchcock says, Ah, there's our murderess. Into frame steps Anthony Perkins' female stunt double Margot wearing a gingham dress, silver wig, and black makeup to mask her face. She wields a large prop knife and almost blocks our view of Janet in the white tiled stall. Hitchcock, are you ready for our little bloodbath? Janet, my mother always said, have confidence in yourself and you can lick anything. Hitchcock takes Janet's hand and with tremendous sincerity, my mother used to say the same thing. Let's go for a take. Quiet, everyone. Over and So this is where the film kicks in. All of that's not there. Over and over, Margot attacks with the knife and Janet tries deflecting the blows, but both women are timid and Janet is clearly guarding her modesty and covering her body. Me intervening, I argue that that's not the intention that we get in the film at all. That, that's not what comes across. We just get that they're not really selling it to the level that he wants. But the nudity factor, this idea of being watched by the crew and Hitchcock himself, is not present in the final film. Hitchcock interjects, Cut more intensely, let's go again, and we get the direction. Margot's knife comes at Janet uncertainly in every which way. Naked and exposed, Janet defends against the knife blows as they come at her, but Margot's still pulling her punches. Again, not really a feature of the film. And then we pick up where... Hitchcock takes the knife and does his thing. So what is the thinking behind this omission? How would it have changed the scene? As written, the sequence seems really concerned about nudity and the male gaze. Scarlet's character mentions it at the restaurant. Then there's this whole thing about the nipple cover-up. Then there's the male crew reacting... Then there's her cautiously in the shower trying to cover herself up. Then there's her giving up on that and exposing herself. None of those events, apart from the restaurant at the beginning, occur in the film. It really just cuts to her doing the scene and it's not about nudity. Instead, it's about her relationship with Hitchcock and how off the deep end he is. It's not about her body, it's about his mindset. Now Scarlet to this point has never gone nude in a film. Remember, Michael Bay toyed with it in the island and then decided, no, we're not going to do that. So would it have put too much focus on Scarlet? Is that why it was cut? Is it because we needed to stay very firmly on the story of Hitchcock? And I'm reminded of a David Fincher quote when talking about the girl with the dragon tattoo. And he says, look, we saw some amazing people. Scarlett Johansson was great. It was a great audition, I'm telling you. But the thing with Scarlett is, you can't wait for her to take her clothes off. So for him, it was a distraction. We get caught up on that aspect of the character and we stop thinking about the story. Or is it about the veracity of the actual historical situation? Because contradicting that script or the events that are outlined in that script Scarlett is quoted while doing the press tour for this film as saying we only had the luxury to shoot the scene for a day and everybody was feeling very nervous because it involved water nobody wants the actor to get wet she says they were concerned with modesty and all these things but i don't care about any of that stuff and janet lee never did either which would suggest that Janet Lee didn't give a shit about the nudity. Scarlett doesn't give a shit about the nudity. So is that why it was changed? But then there's so many things that apparently Hitchcock never did that are in this film and they weren't changed. It is an absolute mystery, dear listeners. The mystery of the phantom nipples. And probably something that we will never know. But isn't it interesting to sort of just dig a little bit deeper for a change and uh, get into that behind-the-scenes stuff? and see how something as simple as a pair of boobs can change the trajectory of a multi-million dollar motion picture. Back to what is in the film, though, I actually thought Scarlett's exit here was a perfect goodbye for her character, because her character has been killed at this point. And that look she gives Jessica Beale where she comes off the set so shaken really for me conveyed everything we needed to know about the character for me that was the end of her arc we'd seen her as a naive woman to begin with she hadn't heeded the warnings from those that had experienced hitchcock and she came out with new knowledge she was changed somehow we we could see it in her eyes but she does come back in the film surprisingly Um, hitchcock ends up collapsing from overwork from stress Mirren, his wife, Alma, uh, she takes over, and Scarlet brings her a gift of candy corn to pass on to Hitchcock. And Lee's quite amiably looking much like she did at the beginning, that sweet, naive, everything's fine person. So it was hard for me to really then be sure about what her arc was, and how she felt about Hitchcock and how she felt about the scene because she seems to go to and fro on it. Plus I feel that a good part of her performance is predicated on a scene that as we know was either never shot or ended up on the cutting room floor as if such a thing existed these days. So I thought is this scene then just a way to give a proper happy goodbye to her character. You know, she's a big movie star. We want her to exit the film gracefully. But no, look, she's back again later on because Hitchcock ends up bargaining with the MPAA. This is about the censorship of the film. He gets to keep the shower scene as it is, but in exchange, he'll reshoot the love scene. And this was the when Scarlett was kissing the guy in the hotel earlier, based on the MPAA guy's supervision. He's going to actually let this Mr. MPAA, played by the bad guy from Robocop, to come and watch the scene and tweak it to his specifications. I don't mean... When I say he's going to tweak it to his specifications, I'm, I'm not talking about his penis. So Scarlett sits on the hotel bed in a dark robe, waiting to start kissing this guy again. But the MPAA guy, Robocop baddie, he doesn't even show up, so Hitchcock... That wily coyote gets away with it. He doesn't have to reshoot the scene. And here is the true goodbye. Scarlet and Hitchcock get to debrief. He's all, I wasn't so much of a monster, was I? She's all, I hope I was loyal to the cause. He goes to shake her hand, more respectful than he's been so far, but she instead graciously hugs him and kisses him. And she returns to her dressing room and closes the door, leaving us with the image of the star and Janet Lee. That's her goodbye, right? Not quite. There's a scream. She opens the door. They've put the bloody skeleton, Norman Bates's mother's skeleton, in her dressing room. Scared the shit out of her. You pranksters. Who would have ever guessed that Alfred Hitchcock and Ashton Kutcher were so alike? Oh, and uh, Hitchcock makes the film, and it's a success. But you knew that, right? So, in conclusion, um... I don't love this film at all. I think it's way too slight. There's just not enough meat to it. It feels far too simple and shallow. But it's mildly interesting at times. And it's got a really good cast. But Scarlett, I think, is pretty amazing in this role. I gotta give her full credit for just absolutely excelling at the 50s movie star thing. Is she a great facsimile of janet lee did she want to be a great facsimile of janet lee i don't know i don't know enough about janet lee i've watched psycho before i don't remember it very well i was gonna watch it again for this i'm gonna watch two films for you doesn't even have scarlett johansson in it for christ's sake did you see the title of this podcast you ask too much of me But at least in this self-contained movie, I thought she did a really good job and was expertly cast. And of course she was going to take this role. I can imagine she was absolutely over the moon at the chance to play Janet Lee, to recreate such an iconic scene and work with Sir Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren. It's a no-brainer. Had she not done it, I wouldn't have been mad, but I would have been sorely disappointed. Housekeeping, scar capillary. I still can't fucking say the stupid word I wrote. What new word or phrase did we learn? Scar journalism. Seriously, like it took me 32 episodes to arrive at that one. It was brilliant. I had a really bad feeling that maybe I've used that one before and that I did think of it earlier and I just don't remember. Chances are, if I don't remember, then you don't remember either, because chances are I'm a little more invested in this than you are. By which I mean me about a six out of 10. You four? doesn't matter. Three greatest feats. What were our three greatest feats? Look, this one, this isn't spectacular or anything, but I really loved that subtle awareness, that sort of understated comedy of that line where she talks about the double identity and the perfume and everything you'd have to see it for yourself but there's just something there's a kind of depth and a nuance and and a confidence that's not there in her earlier films and it's just a great example for me of how much she's grown two she screamed like a mofo Horror movie screaming is an absolute art. Not everyone looks great doing it, but she does. Don't dismiss that. It is a rare skill to do it really well, and she's spot on. Look at that magazine cover. It's the best thing. And three, like a little time traveler, I just think she absolutely epitomized the essence of 50s glam Hollywood there's always been something about Scarlett which is slightly out of time. And I can't imagine tiring of seeing her play those characters. So there we go, we did it, Hitchcock. And next time, we're going to get deep into Joseph Gordon-Levitt's fap-happy film, Don John, in which he writes a part for Scarlett that allows him to have his parts all over her parts. Isn't that going to be interesting? Man, we are... Getting really close to catching up with her resume. I am actually seeing, and will have seen by the time you hear this, Avengers Age of Ultron. And I'm not going to analyze the performance in those films until they arrive on Blu ray, because I want to actually watch them and study that and not just rely on my memory. So, um, We'll definitely be covering Age of Ultron on our other podcast, FPCast, our general pop culture podcast, um, podcast on Mondays. But the Scar Joe, a go-go version will be a bit later down the track. Also listen to BWB, the book was better podcast. It didn't happen this week. I could not get my shit together to do, uh, record one for you. Couldn't get the guests lined up or do anything like that. But it will return next week. Just Jacinta and I on Tuesday are reading a novelization of an Australian film. How about that? Got Russell Crowe in it. Let's see if you can guess what it is. I think it's got Russell Crowe in it. I haven't read it yet. All right. Thanks for listening. Find all those other shows and this one at www.fruitlesspursuits.com, which will include links to our Facebook discussion group. I would love to hear from you, especially about this show. And we are also featured on geekvision.tv an american nerd hub a, a hive of scum and villainy where the uh, snaggletooth standing in the corner banging our glass on the bar so bring your hammerheads and bum faces in there and uh, get freaky with us get freaky with a snaggletooth I'll catch you then. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe, would go.